0: If you have a toddler or a small child, chances are you know all about self-management. That is, their lack of self-management. Small children are very quick with their reactions, whether it's from pleasure or pain, and they can be quite verbal about that reaction. It might be shouting, crying, hitting, biting... I don't need to tell you. You know all about it. My next guest says that self management is an important skill for young children, but what it looks like and how to help your child achieve it might be different to what you think. Dr. Laura Jana is a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics and author of The Toddler Brain, Nurture the Skills Today that will shape your child's tomorrow. This is part one of a three-part series. We're going to talk about self-regulation today, following on from the that, we'll speak about how to play well with others, and finally, how to teach our kids to be fit for failure. Hi, Laura. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. It's great to join you. Now, can you explain why self-management skills are so important for young children?
1: (laughs) Well, sure. And I think it kind of helps to back up and just say why are self-management skills important in general. And I think as soon as I do that Every adult can think about that, right? If you say stop and think about it, think about consequences, think about what your options are, that skill is really valued and we use it every day. Now we look to young children, and I think the first task, you know, you referenced children learning self-management skills, the first task for parents is to understand what the normal stages of development are around those skills. Because the first thing I find really kind of tripping parents up and being very frustrating is if you have unrealistic expectations. When it comes to self-management, okay, which is, you know, and it it involves things called executive function skills, your ability to control your impulses, be self-aware, in control... We know that it develops gradually, but it doesn't really pick up until the age of three. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a a one-and-a-half, two-year-old starting to really sort of focus and pay attention and slow down or follow some simple directions, right, stop and think. But it also means that under the age of three, when a toddler throws a tantrum, when they want something and they grab it, it's because those skills have not developed yet. So that's the first thing I find is that a lot of times parents, it's, understandable but misplaced anger at a child for not behaving because to me that's like saying if you know if you get angry at a child for not using self-control at the age of you know toddlerhood 1 2 years old that'd be like getting angry at them for not being able to tie their shoes we know that they just can't quite do it yet I like that you say up to three because my son's
0: about to turn three. But here's my problem (laughs) with self-management. And I know that your book is um, concentrating on the younger years, but I know that you've written about all kinds of years of children. I still find that my five-year-old has impulse control problems, particularly when it comes to her brother and her family. Sure. And I'm wondering about our expectations there because I think one thing we do as parents, or at least I know I do, Is when she smacks her brother for taking something of hers, or she's just angry and lashes out. Straight away, I think, oh, what have I done wrong? Like, why aren't I helping her cope? So
1: I can make you feel better right after (laughs) that. Excellent. Because in this category of executive function skills and what I've I've called me skills, right, self awareness, self control, while they have a peak rate of development between age three and five, we know that they do not fully develop until the mid twenties. All right. And again, the like good and bad. <laughs> right. So exactly. But, you know, the other sort of the simple way I use to describe this, when you have a two year old, you do not stand them, hopefully, on the side of the road and say, don't run in it and then leave because they will just go. There's no impulse control. There's no stop and think. You just do it. OK, so we know that at age two. By the age of five, there are quite a few children who know they're not supposed to go out into the street and they might do a decent job. You probably shouldn't trust them, right? (laughs) But but they might do a good job, I would say, until you put their puppy on the other side of the road. So it's a really clear example for people that, yes, they've developed some self-control, but at the same time, it's not fully developed yet. So that's where a parent's role all the way through, right? Whether you're talking two or five or 25, your role is to help build those skills, help children understand what they can do to control their impulses. So some is learning sort of some of the rules, helping them practice. If you tell your child how to tie their shoe and they don't get it right, you don't yell at them the first time they don't get it right. That's why I always have to reinforce for parents, this is a learning experience. And if you think of it that way, then if your child doesn't quite get it right, the older sibling hits the younger sibling, you then get to explain to them why that's not acceptable, ways that they might, you know, do better next time, how to use their words instead of their hands. Those things that are very common in early childhood, right? We employ them all the time. Those things are helping build that sort of self-awareness, self-control, and at the same time, how to interact well with others.
0: So what we should be thinking is that it's, practice as opposed to us failing as a parent.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that I think our society has got us all thinking, I failed. Somebody's judging me, everything my child does. And part of my message is, you know, in the rest of the world, everybody has shifted over to this idea of it's a work in progress. You rapid iterate and prototype and you do these things and you don't like do one big finished project and put it out there. You test something and then you adapt and then you adjust it and then you think of raising children the same way. Nobody gets it perfect. I don't get it perfect. I was a trained pediatrician by the time I had my first child. I went home with my daughter and I was like, wow, this is really different than (laughs) being a pediatrician. So parents can give themselves a break. Look at this as it's a you know an con- ongoing process, and like I said, I've always said it's a work in progress. You're listening to
0: Kindling Conversation, and I'm speaking with Dr. Laura Jana, who's a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics and author of The Toddler Brain: Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. We've just been talking about self management with young children and um, how. I guess as parents, if our kids flip out, we can often feel guilty about it. And that's why I love Laura, because she tells us that it's okay. It's a work in progress. And um, the point there is, of course, the practicing part and not feeling bad about it. Part of that practicing, I'm guessing, from what you say in your book, is teaching children to name their emotions. We talk a lot about emotion coaching, but can you just remind us again why it's important that kids know what it is when they're feeling. So let's say, uh, which does happen, my son, who's almost three, he'll have a tantrum and nobody can work out what it's about, which is incredibly frustrating. Right. And sometimes we can get fed up and go, oh my goodness, he's just so temperamental. Why is it important to acknowledge what he's feeling at that moment?
1: Well, if you think about it, it kind of helps all of us to be able to put words to what we're feeling. The other thing that we know is true about ourselves as adults is when we're tired, frustrated, upset, any of those sort of varying emotional states, we don't do so well with sort of the logical thinking and making really informed decisions, right? So then when we look at toddlers and young children, we certainly have to understand that. But the other part of it is if you look at the impulsive behaviors that we see in early childhood, right? Somebody wants something and their friend has it and they bop them in the head with a block and then they take it, which really is not the way that we want them to grow. <laughs> <in> <laughs> yes. life. Um a lot of that impulsive behavior is emotional. It might be somebody took something and instead of stopping and thinking and saying, well, maybe it was their turn to have it, they say, you know, they get upset and they, you know, wet. And and again, impulsive behaviors in early childhood, you listed at the beginning, but if you think about it, it can be hitting, it can be a temper tantrum or screaming, it could be laying down on the floor and throwing a fit. It certainly can be biting, which as a pediatrician, I can tell you in my experience is the least socially acceptable of all of the understandable developmental milestones of early childhood, right? But nobody likes teeth marks. (laughs) But it's an impulse. And thank goodness everybody grows out of that one. (laughs) But that's where you really want to think about helping children find ways other than physical To express themselves. And that starts with giving them words for how they're feeling. Now, I would actually suggest there are a lot of adults who are not very good at that. And that takes some practice and it takes a lot of self awareness. So, when a child's really upset and throwing a tantrum, you're not giving in. This is where I think parents often wonder they don't, you know, they worry. They don't want to give in to their child, right? Because they want to raise a child who's really socially well adjusted. They don't want to give in. It's not giving in to acknowledge the child's feelings because they're feeling what they're feeling. Anger, frustration, sad, whatever it would be. Help put words to that. And then the next step is help them express them and learn to control them in a very socially acceptable way. So in the book, you know, in the toddler brain, in this Me Skills chapter, I talk about things like giving children some time away. Not time out because, and again, somebody said, well, what's really the difference between a time out and some time away? Time out tends to be punitive, I'm angry with you. You did something that was very bad, and I'm taking you, and I'm sitting you in this corner. That's more done out of anger. Time away is recognizing that sometimes children just aren't able to control their emotions. They can't control their impulses, and so you're going to give them some space. Time away is more of a learning space. Time out. And again, as soon as parents start to think of that, you're still removing them from the situation. But it's with the intent of letting them learn to control themselves. And sometimes it needs more time and space. And that's why you have them separate.
0: In your book, you talk about how Sesame Street approached teaching self-control to children. Do you mind just talking us through what it was they did and how they know that it works.
1: Sure. And, you know, when you mentioned Sesame Street, you know, I was born the year Sesame Street started. And, you know, again, I grew up, I love Sesame Street. Lots of parents really love Sesame Street. But what I'm not sure people realize is just how much research and evidence base goes into the work they do. The Sesame Street team now has focused a considerable amount of effort on how do we teach these social emotional skills and things like the me skills that we're talking about. In this episode that I described, Cookie Monster. So, you know, if you say Cookie Monster, it makes people laugh, right? Because you can picture Cookie Monster does not have impulse control. Cookie Monster <laughs> wants cookies. Cookie Monster eats cookies. And so, you know, it was. I thought it was brilliant of Sesame Street to say we should have Cookie Monster you know, It's not easy. And just like I said, if you've got a two- or a three-year-old, recognize they don't have it right all the time, and we're supposed to help them figure out how to do it. In this episode, Cookie Monster wants to join a club, it's the Cookie Connoisseur Club, but you have to be able to resist eating cookies, and Cookie Monster's not always so good at that. <laughs> and so he's doing it, and then he fails, and then he's doing trying it again. The other part of that episode, you know, he's got strategies. He does self-talk and tries to talk himself out of eating the cookies. Sometimes he smells it or he tastes it, but he doesn't. The idea is that kids can have strategies that work for them. What can they do? Whether it's taking some deep breaths, whether it's, you know, and so that's why I think it's actually a really informative episode on Sesame Street, but also very practical. You're listening to
0: Kindling Conversation. We're speaking with Dr. Laura Jana, who is the author of The Toddler Brain, Nurture the skills today that will shape your child's tomorrow and we've just been talking about impulse control, in particular the cookie monster, which if you want a practical guide to um, teaching your kids you can't find the words, I recommend you look it up on YouTube because from memory I I have seen it and it's very clever and part of what is clever about it is good for us as parents too in acknowledging that our kids won't always get it right in terms of impulse control. Finally, Laura, do you have any advice for parents on how we can teach our kids these skills? And also in terms of the expectations, as you say, how should we think about our child's progress?
1: In the toddler brain, in the the book, I do describe what I've set out as the developmental milestones of me skills. So the first thing is to just become well versed on what those developmental milestones are because that way you have realistic expectations and you know where you could be helping your child at various ages. But there's several very practical things. Now my goal in the book it's interesting because part of my goal was to empower parents enough they don't have to keep a parenting book in their back pocket and look up every answer. At the same time, I wanted to make sure I gave some very concrete, tangible, practical ideas for parents to get people started. Some of the examples I use for me skills, very easy. First of all, I can figure out how to suggest that parents read books with young children in just about any discussion we have, right? We could be talking about healthy nutrition. We can be talking about potty training, whatever it might be. Um, But to read books with a young child, first of all, inherently, you're building their their focus and their attention, and those are executive function skills that sort of tie into their self control, right? Um, so that's really good. But there's another element there as well, which is you are far more likely to describe a character in the book about what their emotions are, and oh, what are they feeling, and oh, are you happy? And and so you're using a lot of those words to describe emotions, whereas in everyday language, we sort of as parents tend to default to happy, sad, angry, you know but there may be like three, four, five different terms. Where's play with those words. You know, if you're reading a book about a a puppy and the puppy, well, that puppy looks frustrated. Why do you think the puppy is frustrated? Do you remember when you were frustrated? And you can build the, the emotional vocabulary because we know that you have to be aware of your own emotions and you have to have words for them to help you control them. So those are really good examples. The other one that I caution parents where people don't always think about it Because we want to emphasize building focus and attention and control, background television is actually very insidious, and and it can cause some real problems with attention. There have been studies that have been done with very young children that if television is on in the background and the child looks at it, even only 5% of the time that they're in the room with this television on, they will actually engage in activities significantly shorter, less attention, less focus on them than they would have had the television been off. So there's some practical things about making sure you're setting up an environment where a child can focus and pay attention. You can build focus and attention and self-control. Again, I'm a huge fan of reading books. It's not something you train in flashcards the day before kids go to kindergarten. But it's also fun and engaging and you can be using the emotional vocabulary at
0: the same time. And of course, there are more examples in the book, which we'll have a link to on our website. Laura, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode.